This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Champions League of Sports Business Podcasts, The Sportacast. All right, so let me, let me think. I actually had to think. I'm like, Champions League, that's like the old one, but still the one that's going to have everybody because the new thing didn't work. So I'm like, is that where we want to be positioned? I'm okay with it. Still has the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, still the power then, center. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about sort of the creation of the Super League on, on the last podcast. And, and by the way, all these years, thank you very much for digging out the Simpsons reference. But for years, I'd been saying the episode that there was Mom and Pop Hardware, and then underneath, a, a division of Global Dominance, Inc. It's Global Dynamics, Inc. I'm, I can't believe I've been sort of just perpetrating this fraud for years that it's Dynamics and not Dominance. I apologize to anybody who's retold that story. I like your version better. I think it's funnier as Global Dominance, I think Global Dominance, Inc. is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there for them, it was the global part. But uh, it really does show what was going on here, that the, the kingmakers of European soccer got together and said, to heck with the little guys, we're going to go form our own league, mowed it up so we can never go, get booted out, no matter how bad we may be on the pitch. Yes, I'll utilize pitch for this podcast. And we want more money because, darn it, we deserve it. And boy, oh boy, Eben. In in the history of sport failure, of, of implementation oops of, of it all, we, we had Rick Burton, our pal at Syracuse University, call it the, the new Coke of sports. What a disaster. Yeah, it's it's on the Mount Rushmore. And honestly, the 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 four faces might be the logos of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, and Manchester City. Scott, yeah, it's it's hard to even bring up the words for how big a colossal mistake this is. The thing that I think amazes me more than everything, and this may be just a a lesson moving forward in every degree, the amount by which the owners of these teams misread the industry that they are in. Uh, an idea here, the Super League, we should mention, has been floated, trial ballooned, discussed for years at this point. But it is clear that they had no idea the backlash that was going to come that came from all sides. Fans were upset. We heard English Premier League soccer players, the moments they got off the pitch on Tuesday, they were upset. We've heard the, the other people, power brokers within European soccer, they were upset. Politicians 
Prince William, <laughs> who has an honorary role within English soccer, he was upset. Uh, the, the laundry list of people that were angry here that appears to have caught these teams off guard is pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, the two words that I heard the most from folks who have at, at least, I will say, one leg or one foot in the soccer world, including some of the investors in the teams we're talking about, are ignorance and arrogance. That the, the ignorant part was that they just didn't understand how tied these teams are to community. And you know I make fun of the fact that of anybody who thinks of professional sports teams as public trusts, because we you hear that both. a lot. And I, I lambast anybody who falls for that. It's like, hey, hey, soccer, <laughs> you know, how many times have I said that professional sports teams, despite the owner saying, oh, they're really just public trust and I'm the steward of it now. Um, they are no different than Walmart. They are for-profit ventures. How many times have we seen owners leverage whatever they can for public tax subsidies to build new stadiums, threaten relocation, sometimes go through with relocation. So we need to do away with that. But a little different in England, in, in, in the UK, in that the fabric of the team and the fabric of the fan base really do seem to be intertwined. And to not understand the emotional attachment but, and maybe the identity of fan and team there, and to think there will be no outcry pitchforks, right? To not understand that blows my mind. That's the ignorance. Then the arrogance of maybe just, again, we're talking about sheiks, oligarchs, multi-billionaires of, that'll nah, be okay. You know, everything I do, uh, and I, I get what I want. I, I say, and people agree with me, it'll be fine. Well, Guess what? That that was that was Hall of Fame comeuppance, if I may say so. And by the way, uh, Vince Velotica, former Fox uh, PR guy, uh, was really wondering loud on Twitter whether anybody would have the moxie to sort of call out the owners, particularly the U.S. team owners, for their roles in this. Um, yeah, here we are. Happy to do it because uh, the only reason I don't think it's necessary, and you and I discussed this off air is that when they're making apology videos, like, boy, we screwed this up and we're so sorry. I mean, how much piling on do you have to do? I, I'd rather look at this from a Harvard Business School case study or maybe a semester to figure out, man, where did they go wrong? If you listen to our Sportacast podcast from earlier in the week, I took the stance that this was not surprising in any regard. I, I was not endorsing the model, but I was not surprised by it. And I want to use that as a springboard to talk about what happens next because... The owners of Man City and Man United and Liverpool and Arsenal down the line, they don't wake up tomorrow and say, oh, we, we tried to get more money and we failed. So, okay, this is a desire these teams have had for a while. It's a desire they're going to have for a long time moving forward. How much do we think this failed attempt at a Super League damages or does it strengthen their hand, their leverage moving forward as they, let's be frank, are going to continue to try to claw back more and more of the money that they're generating for in European soccer. Yeah. How many times have you heard in, in collective bargaining or any negotiation about relocation, you hear about nuclear option, right? You always sort of put the nuclear option on the back burner. Everybody knows it's there. You just don't want to utilize it as sort of your first move. And I just feel like that's what happened here. 
Like that was a great negotiating ploy. You could have had this negotiating ploy, but maybe it's some sort of signed letter of intent to cooperate, you know, to show that there's unity among the, the larger teams in Europe and that we really do want to band together in some fashion to let y'all know that we, we think we deserve more money. You, know, you don't have to explicitly do the forming of the league, of the goodbye, of the we don't care about you. That's always in the background because it's been mentioned. It's been floated. Fine. And, and the smaller clubs know that. Because I think you and I agree on this, that perhaps the bigger clubs and their followings, maybe they do deserve a little bit more. They do draw the eyeballs. They do draw the fans and the dollars. And I just use, again, ready for the, uh, you know, the, uh, the focus group of one in the Soshnik household on Saturday <laughs> there, there morning, right? Yeah, there's the, there, here, here's the, <laughs> the Jackson focus group yeah. of one. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, if we're clicking through, and for now, we get to NBCSN, right? Or um, let's just say, I, I'm going to make stuff up here. Albion, Albion's playing Bromwich, right? West Bromwich. We're not stopping. I got, I, I'm not lying. My son is like, no. When he flicks through the channels and he sees Man United's playing Arsenal or Liverpool or Chelsea, and he was once, by the way, he was once walked out hand in hand when Didier Drogba played for Montreal. He was the guy, the kid who escorted Drogba out on the field and he had his mohawk and everything. I, I, maybe I'll post the picture on social um, so he knows about Chelsea and Drogba. But the fact remains, I want to see when he plays the video games, FIFA, whatever the number, it's the more popular teams. That's who he plays. He knows the players. He knows the teams. So can you make a very good argument that a bigger slice of the pie should go to those clubs? Put my hand in the air when people ask for eyes. Yeah, it's it, the way I kind of liken this is if, let's say in 2007, the Jaguars had moved to LA and it was a disaster and they moved back to Florida two months later. Then suddenly when the Rams and the Chargers are, are threatening to leave to go to LA, you lose that bargaining chip if you've tried it before and it failed. Yes. Uh, one other thing I want to to talk out with you, Scott, do we think there is there is any ramification here moving forward in the near term? Champions League could kick these teams out for a year. I imagine their sponsors would have something to say about that. I was talking to my buddy Sam in New York last night. Uh, he's an Arsenal fan. He's from England. One thing he was saying is he was wondering if this may prompt a change in ownership rules in England in the way that Bundesliga teams in Germany, there's that 50 plus one rule. Fans have to control at least 50% of the team. It means that there can't be a corporate takeover of, of, of teams like we've seen in other in other countries. Do we think there might be something as drastic as a government step to put fans back in charge of these teams? Where do we think the ramifications net out for these teams? There's going to be some awkward meetings on the pitch, in the boardroom over the next few months as these teams come back to their domestic leagues, as conversations around Champions League continue. Yeah, you saw some of the folks with UEFA and the EPL, it was sort of like, just admit your mistake and you'll be welcomed back, right? It's okay. We knew the wisdom would prevail. Uh, yeah, every <laughs> meeting right now, they're all getting looked at side-eyes. Like, what, what are they doing You know, after the meeting? Who are they talking with and what, what are they planning next? Um, the, the, there has to be some ramification. I would think sponsors of some of these clubs right now that have totally alienated their fan bases like, do you want your brand alongside some of these teams right now? 
with with, with the uh, just the visceral response of the fan base. I, I don't know. Do you want to be a credit card company, a beer, and and be like, hey, you know, hey, we're uh, you know, we're um, AC Milan. <laughs> no, um, it there was real damage done here. Now, how long are the memories? Come game day, I don't I don't know, but I will say. Remember the old David Stern story I like to say about. David saying he never worried about the people who yelled at him during lockouts because that passion would bring them back. Like back. He didn't worry about them, right? I think that applies here too. The passion that the people have showed and their anger. And by the way, let's remember that the anger is not directed at the players. Important that this is ownership. And many of these owners, by the way, like have been hung in effigy in these stadiums before, right? It's not like they're, they're the beloved figure. So important distinction that there's still an affinity, a connection, a love of the uniform, of the player, of the town, of the symbolism of it all. So that said, I would guess that the utter, utter vitriol will be somewhat short-lived. But in the back of the mind, there's, I don't trust that guy who owns the team anymore. The economics of this conversation are not unique to European soccer. You can really pick any sport on the planet. NFL teams and their revenue sharing have this fight constantly, right? The, the idea that that not everyone in a given league generates the same amount of money for that league and as a result is due maybe a bit more money than others. Uh, this is a, a debate happening across all sports, Scott. And let's transition to golf uh, because the PGA tour is doing something new this year that I would argue is actually very related to this exact conversation we're having starting in 2021. The PGA tour has set up a player impact fund as they're calling it at the end of the year, the 10 players that the tour deems have brought the most off the course, buzz, excitement, energy to the sport, to the tour, to the partners. Those 10 players are going to share a $40 million prize pool it comes kind of in the wake of the PGA Tour fending off a Super League of its own in some ways. The Premier Golf League, a group that was trying to sign the world's best players to a smaller circuit with more purses, uh, smaller amount of teams sharing Fewer more money. Events. Does that sound familiar? Um, what do we make of the PGA Tour? This is a, a smart move. Is it reactionary? Is it proactive? I kind of see it as both. Well, I don't think it can be reactionary or proactive because there's no way they put it together because of what went on in European soccer. They did, however, begin the discussions when they realized we might have dodged a bullet when Tiger et al. did not go and play in this new league that would have had a ton of private equity backing real money where the guys could have, and I think that this probably appealed to a few athletes, you can earn a lot more and work a lot less. You know, high-low. I think that would have appealed. So... Smartly, they didn't just say, "Woo, we, we dodged that bullet. We don't need to deal with this ever again. Somebody was going to try this again or some form of it, and they still might. However, the idea that there's a recognition that Tiger Woods matters more to your sport than number 32 on the money list, I have no idea who that is, or even number three, four, five, six, seven, that's a smart idea. Do everything you can. And I think the other golfers would even say, yeah, you know what? I can make what I make largely because of those guys and, and the sponsors they bring in and the fans watch to see the red shirt on a Sunday. 
yeah, you know what? I have no problem with you looking to take care of him. And I have an opportunity too. I can bust through too, whether social media, um, some other other metrics than just winning tournaments. There's ways you can do that. So I say kudos to you not resting on laurels, recognizing there's an issue, starting a discussion, and ultimately moving it to action. There's a part of this that feels like the the perfect 2021 sports business merging of existing sports league and also influential culture in some ways. Obviously, players, as long as golf has been around, have been rewarded for being popular off the course. It's sponsorships. It's, it's the, it's the off-field business that they already engage in. This is bringing a much finer point, a much more specific point uh, to that exact thing. I would imagine given how conservative a lot of golf fans are and the things that have become controversial in golf that would not be controversial elsewhere, that we may see a lot of criticism for golfers that fans anticipate are maybe going above and beyond on Twitter, trying to get their SEO uh, optimized, trying to appear more in media mentions, trying to appear more in Google searches. By the way, those are two metrics that the PGA is using to rate golfers on this through this algorithm. Look at you using SEO optimization. Way to go, Evan Novi Williams. Get me John Matsuya. John <laughs> Matsuya, Penske Media's uh, SEO guru. Get him on. I, I would imagine there's going to be uh, some fans trying to read into golfers doing too much, going the extra mile on social media and regular media as a way to try to improve their standing in this bonus pool. You know what, Evan? Yeah, I'm going to give you this, though. One, It's a meritocracy. Y- you know, people follow and people are popular. The fans will decide. The folks who follow these things will decide who they like, who they don't like. You can artificially inflate anything for a, for an ephemeral period of time, but you got to be you got to be authentic. You know how many times have we heard to brand people and marketers and agents? If it's not authentic, it will not resonate. It will not stick. So let folks try to create some persona, some other. Yeah, I, I think people will sleep through it, and it just won't work. Gotcha. Let's transition uh, to to another ultimate 2021 story. Uh, something our colleague Jacob Feldman wrote about at Sportico this week. Zed, Love the story. Zed Love Run. It. Uh, digital horses that are being bought, bred, raced. Uh, Scott, explain this to to users out there who are you know looking at their uh, looking at their iPhone or their podcast app uh, quizzically right now as to what I'm talking about. Wow, I cannot believe you just like reversed roles and threw out the explain Zed on me. Why, why don't we just have Jacob <laughs> on? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like what you said. It's almost like iGaming. Like uh, imagine a, an NFT horse. If we can get into non fungible token, an NFT horse. That goes beyond, by the way, just sort of like, I have it. Like, okay, now what? There's nothing else to take a second step. Now you have an NFT, a digital horse, that you can create content with. So you're you're racing these horses. So people are watching the races and you're breeding the horses. Uh, uh, Amazing. Like everything you'd get in sort of real horse racing. And I've already said, if we want to do this on the corporate level, I've already got the name and I haven't trademarked yet, but I want to be Sportitariat. Like mm. how can how can Sportitariat not be the best horse out there? Is that better I, I than Sportacult? I think so because cult is a generic term for a horse. A secretariat was like the great. You say secretariat, the secretariat of the NBA, LeBron. You know, the secretariat it means the greatest, the like huge wins, like, demolishing the competition. Big heart. So we want yeah. Sportitariat. <laughs> yeah, big win. You know, big heart, big win. That's what we want. So I mean, that's in essence what what it boils down to. They're like digital horses that. You can buy, sell, trade, breed, uh, and watch, apply their trade. Uh, just fascinating stuff. 
Um, I, I don't even know where to go beyond that. Uh, it, I mean, reading Jacob's story, I got so much feedback on that story. People were just, I love this. I love this. This is amazing. Even folks in the industry who just didn't even realize this was happening. Yeah, and, and just to put some some dollar figures on this, the, some of these horses are selling for over a hundred thousand dollars right now. Rare horses routinely going for over fifteen grand. Um, There's going to be a virtual Keeneland sale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it's funny that some of this, the, the idea of virtual horse racing that you can wager on, is not new in any capacity. Those things yeah, exist. No. They're not fun at all. I think the thing that this has kind of merged is what you were talking about. This idea of of having a thing from an NFT perspective, having a thing that you can watch grow, you can do the breeding process, you can bring in other owners, you can race them. It's digital, Scott, so you can set up a race down the Vegas Strip, or you can race it on a beach somewhere. You can just pick where you want to go. Can you um, cheat? Yeah, so I was going to mention this as well. Uh, let's be honest. There's there's aspects of horse racing that a lot of people find unappealing. It's the danger to the animal itself. Uh, the doping aspect that is, that is sadly part of the part of the sport as well. It kind of cuts out a lot of those things that people are, are maybe a bit more concerned about or, or would turn people away. Uh, so I think, yeah, Zed run is a really interesting prospect. And as this idea of the metaverse, which I don't want to get too deep into right now, but as the idea of the metaverse and, and Epic games, which just you know, a multi, 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 multi-billion dollar valuation is trying to build this exact idea. And Jackson would know more about this than both of us. Um, this is a sport that seems very well suited uh, in that realm as well. You ready for uh, a pat on your back transition segue? Oh, yeah. Always. You, you know, I, I, I'm fairly certain, fairly certain, as in like 100%, <laughs> that Zed was not available on your Atari 2600. That is a fact. Right, right. So you know where I'm going. Do you I want to keep going, going now? Okay, you want to go? Yeah, Atari 2600, uh, a video game console that came out in the late 70s, I believe. And we put it in the news uh, this week, Scott, because we broke the news that Bobby Kotick, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, one of the biggest video game publishers in the world, donating $4 million to University of Michigan, a school that he attended as an undergrad, uh, to jumpstart their esports program. And when I say esports program, I don't mean the competitive gaming team side of things, which does exist at Michigan as well as all of their campuses. I mean the curriculum side of things. He wants to roll up classes from digital analytics to game programming to economics to sport management, roll them all into a esports curriculum that University of Michigan students will be able to minor in starting in a year and a half. Uh, and I would imagine, Scott, he is not going to be the last donor to do this either at Michigan or at, at universities around the country. Yeah. And I spoke to Bobby before we wrote the story. And I mean, he was stressing that there just aren't enough people to fuel the, the future of this industry. He's like, people need to understand artificial intelligence. They need to understand computer programming. And this will all be part of it. And he stressed the diversity part of it. Like, it it's, an, it's an opportunity for everyone. And he pointed to some, some of the games at Activision um, where there, there are female heroes Overwatch. Uh, there, yeah, um, there was a gay hero. Um, I believe he said there was an autistic hero, mm. which I, I, I did not know. So he says really sort of open barrier here, uh, creates an, an open in, uh, platform for folks of all kinds to come and, and major in this. And it really helped the diversity issue in esports and gaming. And it helps the school as well. If you think about 
the the people gamers writ large, but the people who might especially want to pursue this angle from an academic standpoint, uh, they tend to be international students. It's a very diverse group. They tend to be well off. If you look at the statistics, they also tend to be interested in these STEM science, technology, engineering, mathematics, uh, those uh, fields of study, which pretty much every school in the, in the country, I would say, is trying to get more students uh, interested in those things. So from a, from a school perspective as well, esports and the curriculum around this industry, I think is going to be a big driver of uh, academics as well. I, I've talked to a few you know, guidance counselors and people on the, on the school side that, that do these trips to go to high schools. And one of the questions they're getting more and more right now from high school students is, Hey, what does your video game program looks like? What do you, do you offer classes in esports, et cetera? And Michigan, at least now, thanks to Bobby and, and maybe some other donors is going to be able to answer that question with a direct answer, uh, which, which is a big change. Yeah, and I'll say one part I did take away from the interview that I really enjoyed that I had not heard of. You know, I guess if you're into esports, you probably did. But he told the tale of Steve Jobs hmm. telling him, like, oh, you, you know, you, you really ought to quit college and come work for me. And I'm, I responded like, oh, you know, he suggested. And Bobby was quite clear that Steve Jobs was not a man to make suggestions. It was pretty much you either quit college and come work for me like tomorrow or I rip up the contract. So it wasn't, I mean, he had an option, of course, he could have said no, but it was not presented as a maybe or you should. It was a do it or else. So so if Jeff Bezos had gone to you when you were in college and said, Scott, I want you to work for me. You need to drop out of Syracuse right now. Are you, are you, are you putting your books down and walking out? What's your, uh, what's your reaction there? Novi Williams, I don't want to go on and on and, and whimper on the air, but I don't have many life regrets. But I think I've told you the tale about having the opportunity to take a semester off from school, <laughs> to go on tour with the Rolling Stones, yes, Mick and the Boys, as sort of a gopher for the band, as a summer job I had when they were practicing putting up the stage uh, at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And idiot that I was, I did not even give it a second thought. I'm like, no, I got to go back to school. I just want to go. I didn't even think about it. Like, I could have been the 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 central character in almost famous right the, <laughs> yeah. but i totally blew it i didn't even think about it i said no i got to go back to school so some other lucky dude or, or woman became the uh, the gopher for the band and uh, they went on their merry way i did see the show with a bunch of my friends with great tickets at the at the carrier dome but it all ended there anyway so thanks for making me feel bad i appreciate it he <laughs> is Evan novi williams on the twitter at novi underscore williams I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. The show can be found at Sportacast. There you go, Cora Veltman, our social media guru. This is the Sportacast, the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.